If you have a copy of the greatest book ever written, would you open it? Philippians 4. Philippians 4, verse 6 and 7. Be careful for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ. Please take your Good evening, everyone. Good to see you. Nat, that was a very fine sermon you did today, maybe your best, and uh, I was very encouraged by it, and I appreciate your zeal. I know that you're always willing and able to do so, and and I'm going to kind of go along with the, the theme that you set forth this morning about this time of year, uh, the holiday season. It's, we find that people seem to be nicer, and uh, the uh, pursuit of goodwill toward men or seems to be... Uh, People are more conscientious of it. In Luke 2, 14, it says, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace and goodwill toward men. And we see more of that this in this season of, of uh, America in the time that, uh, that, we, um, that we're involved in now, this time of year. And I like that. It's one of my favorite times, too. Marvin read for us tonight in Philippians 4, verse 6 and 7 about a peace of God which surpasses all understanding. And you know what a what a subject, right? A peace from God that goes beyond our understanding. A peace greater than we can imagine, right? That's what we all want. You know, it's uh, this world may not be aware of that, but we want to close our eyes at night and lay in bed and have that. How many nights have you laid in bed and you didn't have that? You didn't have a peace. And uh, we want that. But unfortunately, that's what we want. But we often go after a peace that we do understand. And we go after a peace that we can't imagine. And the erroneous peace, which we've been taught all our life. The world teaches us that Peace is found in material assets. It's found in carnal passions and in self-pleasures. The world whispers in our ears, be wise in the affairs of men, go for the gusto, get it before someone else gets it. You deserve it. Be happy. Please yourself. Make this world your oyster. You know, Solomon had a lot to say. He was a very wise man, the wisest man that ever lived on this earth. The Bible says, God said of, my, uh, of uh, Solomon that. And concerning worldly wisdom, he had much to say. In Ecclesiastes 1.18, he says, concerning worldly wisdom, for in much wisdom is much grief. And he who increases in knowledge increases in sorrow. He also had much to say about pleasure. You know, unfortunately, we think sometimes that pleasure is what this earth is about, our own self-pleasure. And after all, if you think about his life, 
he experienced it all. He had uh, great emphasis he put upon that. If you'll allow me, let me read uh, seven or eight verses that he wrote in Ecclesiastes 2, verses 4 through 10. He said, I made my works great. I built myself houses, and I planted myself vineyards. I made myself gardens and orchards, and I planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made myself water pools from which to water the growing trees of the grove. I acquired male and female servants and had servants born in my house. Yes, I had greater possessions of herds and flocks than all who were before me in Jerusalem. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the special treasures of kings and of the provinces. I acquired male and female singers, the delights of the sons of men and the musical instruments of all kinds. So I became great and excelled more than all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also my wisdom remained with me. Whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I did not withhold my heart from any pleasure, for my heart rejoiced in all my labor. And this was my reward from all my labor. In verse 11 there he says, And then I looked on all the works that my hands had done, and indeed all was vanity. And grasping for the wind, there was no profit under the sun. His conclusion after spending a lifetime of trying to acquire self-pleasures, his great conclusion at the, at the end of his life with much wisdom was it was vanity. He uses the words, I don't know if you picked it up, I tried to kind of put emphasis on that, but listen to this. In those seven verses, he uses the words, I, me, my, and myself 26 times. He uses that in that in those seven verses. Do you get the pattern? Do you get the picture there? His conclusion to it all, in Ecclesiastes 12, 13, he says, Fear God and keep his commandments, for that is the whole of man. Don't be deceived. The world tells us that these things, wisdom, wealth, pleasure, are the paths to peace. But don't you believe it. First Thessalonians 5.3 says, For when they say peace and safety, then suddenly destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. You know, the world scoffs at the idea and the fact that God's going to come and destroy this earth and judge the inhabitants of the earth. They scoff at it. In 2 Peter 3.4, he says, Where is this promise of this coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. Well, if you're a Bible student, you know in, in, in already that that's erroneous. There's several times that the Bible takes about in judgment. Sodom and Gomorrah, uh, the first world, uh, Jerusalem. The, uh, the uh, children of Israel were punished. They're no more. They can't tell you their lineage because it was destroyed. And don't you believe this, because it is coming. God is going to destroy this earth at a point in time that is his alone. He has appointed that time. But they look around and they say, yesterday was just like the day before and the day before that. Where is this coming? I don't see it. And they scoff. They purely scoff at God and his word at the idea that this is going to happen. But don't you believe it? And I don't believe it. 
it, it, it will come about just as he said it would. The carnal mind can't conceive God. To be carnal minded in Romans 8, 6 says, For the carnal mind is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. After all, what's the subject of this? The peace of God that passes all understanding. No, this isn't the peace that's found for certain. The word of God tells us, though, where peace may be found. In John 6, verse 40, it says, And this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes on him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up in the last day. See, peace is found in Jesus, and that peace comes with a promise that he'll raise us up as he was in the last day. Colossians 1, 19 through 20 says, For it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness shall dwell, and by him to reconcile all things to himself, by him, whether things on this earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. That's where peace is found is in Jesus, because he came and he lived and he died to bring about that peace if we would only accept it. Second Peter 3.14 says, Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, these things I'm talking about, be diligent to be found in him in peace without spot and without blemish. Well, we looked at the world and we see what it teaches about peace and it's erroneous, it's not true. And now we're starting to see the picture. Where is peace found? Does God instruct us on that? Yes. It's found in his son. Do you want to be at peace with God? Do you want to be able to sleep at night? Love his son. He loves his son. In Matthew 17, 5, it says, This is my beloved Son, in whom I'm well pleased. Hear you him. Do you want to be at peace with God? Love the brethren. 1 John 3, 14 says, We know that we pass from death to life because we love the brethren. He who does not love his brother abides in death. Well, there's your barometer right there, isn't it? You know, it takes a while. You have to mature in faith. Because look around us this evening. Look how diverse we are. We're of different nationalities. We're from different walks of life. We have different views. We come from different backgrounds. But you know, we all felt we're all made uh, uh, common in Christ. Because he died for you. Though you're different than me. And he died for me even though I'm different than you. And there's where peace is found. Is in that unity that's in the blood of Christ. Because he sacrificed his life for the sins of the world. To anyone that would come to him and obey him. Do you want to be at peace with God? Love his church. Love his brethren. Matthew 5.19 says that blessed are the peacemakers. For they shall be called the sons of God. You know, I've noticed on the, and it's so sad to me. There's, you know, and I bring this up periodically. Maybe I have a bigger problem with it than you do. But we live in a day and age where I think about, we were discussing some things in, in, in these meetings that we had today. And, you know, if, if you roll back a hundred years in time, well, in the scheme of things, that's not very long ago, is it? And, um. Have you ever thought about why we meet at 10.30 in the morning and, 
And, you know, we're afforded now because we, everybody drove up here, had a vehicle, a warm vehicle probably, and you drove up here and we're afforded to go home and cook a meal and watch some TV, take a nap, watch a ball game, and then the opportunity to come back and worship again tonight, which you've taken advantage of that. But it used to not be that way. They had to hook up a mule or a horse and get in a wagon and go. And, and you've heard the saying, I wonder if you've ever even given it any thought, dinner on the ground. And they used to come and they'd worship and they'd, the ladies would roll out a sheet or a blanket and they had dinner on the ground. Then they worshiped again and then they, they went home. It wasn't convenient to come back like we can and do the things that we do. And uh, we're so fortunate to live in this world that we live in today and to be able to do and come and, and, and as, we, as, we, as we can. And... Um, You know, it takes maturity, like I said, for us to to love each other and to uh, have this opportunity to come back and to worship and be together. Do you realize how important this is to God that we love one another? Because how do you prove your love to God? How would you go about, if someone said, how do you prove your love to God? You know how we do it? By loving each other. Putting up with and forbearing with each other. The, the, the problems that we have, and uh, that's how we prove our love to God. You know, if you just set yourself in a room somewhere and shut the door and stayed in there your, your entire life, say, oh, how I love God. Well, you, how did you prove that? You prove it by loving each other, and sometimes we're not very lovable, are we? Matthew five twenty through 24 says, If you bring your gift to the altar and remember there that your brother has aught against you, Leave your gift before the altar. Go your way. First be reconciled to your brother. Then come and offer your gift. You know, if, if I have hatred toward you, I'm not interested in reconciling with you, nor are you with me, then our worship's in vain, isn't it? Because what does it say there? No, no, no. Stop. Stop. Go take care of that. Then come back and worship God. If we don't love the brotherhood, our worship is in vain. And if we hate rather than love, it says we abide in death. If we don't have love for each other and true concern, then we are accomplishing nothing. And he says we live in death. Do you want to be at peace with God? Pray. 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 3 says, Therefore I exert first of all that all supplication, prayers, and intercession, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings, and for who all for all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceful life in all goodness and reverence. Do you want peace? Pray for it. You know, we have leaders in this country, leaders in other countries. You know, I saw where this last week where um, a despot died. Fidel Castro, he died. And uh, there's a lot of people that are still stirred up about the rule that he had. He, uh, he squashed human rights. He was not a uh, beloved leader by any means. He's a communist. And he's hated. He truly is. If you've watched the news like I have this week, he was hated. And, and uh, that country's praying that they can have a change. That they can, uh, I don't know if they'll have it. But, you know, we could pray for that, couldn't we? 
We're supposed to pray for it. You know, that's the power. We're not going to lead a revolution. We're not going to take up arms and go change uh, some dictator in some country. Especially, it's not even our country. But we could pray on those people's behalf because aren't they human beings too? You know, I wonder if we really realize how powerful prayer is. That is our power source. Uh, we have the opportunity, a blessed opportunity given of God. We call it the avenue of prayer. We might hear that sometimes. But God has made it where we can, uh, we can pray directly to the Father through his beloved Son that loved us and gave his life for us. And I wonder if we truly, we had a lesson this morning, as John mentioned, we had a lesson this morning about prayer. And you know, always as a teacher, if you have the opportunity to prepare for a class, you probably get more out of it than uh, those hearing it because you studied and, you know, and you don't present everything that you studied to get to the conclusions you did. But I'm amazed at the, uh, the, the power that prayer has. James 5.16 says, The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. If you look at the context where James says that, he talks about Elijah. Elijah was the prophet of all prophets. He was, he was a prophet's prophet. And you know what it says about him? He was a man just like you. Just like me. No different. He wasn't extraordinary. He didn't have a pedigree that you don't have or I don't have. He was just a man like we are. But he prayed. He prayed that it not rain. It didn't rain for three and a half years. To bring on, a, uh, to bring on the, uh, uh, an effect that, God, that uh, he wanted for the people to turn back to God. We often, I think, forget how powerful it is to pray. We should pray for, and we can pray for wicked men to do good things. They don't have to be good men, but through praying for, if you're a good person and you pray for even a wicked dictator, a wicked king, a wicked monarch, through God and his providence, and understand this, God is in control of this earth, that there's been a many an evil man that did good things, and, uh, and it was brought on through the prayer, the effective prayer of righteous people. Do you want to be, and this is important, please listen to this. Do you want to be at peace with God? Look ahead. Quit looking in the past. Satan wants you to look back at your life and the miserable mistakes that you've made and those moments of uh, unfaithfulness that you had. And he wants you to dwell on that. And he wants to whisper in your ear and in my ear, who do you think you are? How do you think you're going to be faithful now? Don't you remember these wicked things you did? Who are you to think you can forgive yourself and that you could be somebody again, a stand-up person when you did those type of things? And he wants you to dwell on that. What if Moses would have dwelled on the fact that he killed that Egyptian? What would happen if David constantly, constantly thought about the, uh, the uh, adultery that he was involved in and the conspiracy to have one of his leading men, Uriah, killed? What if he just constantly dwelt on that? How effective he could be. You know, one of the most prolific writers in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul, he wrote 13 epistles. And he was the apostle to the Gentiles. Did you know he was right there holding the clothes of those men that stoned Stephen? He consented to Stephen's death. 
His great conversion came about on the road to Damascus when he was going to arrest Christians and bind them. What if that's all he did was dwell on those evil things? How effective would he have been? Forget about your past. Because you know what it is? It's just that. It's your past. Live for the day. Live for the future. Let that stuff go. Philippians 3, 13 and 14 says, But one thing I do, Paul speaking, I forget those things which are behind and reach forward to those things which are ahead. I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Do you want to be at peace with God? Do you want this peace that passes our understanding? Do you want this peace that goes beyond our imagination? Learn to forgive. It's the most godlike thing we can do. And it's hard sometimes. Have you ever been uh, done wrong? Yeah, you have. You ever had someone betray you? Yes, you have. Have you ever done any betraying? Yes, you have. But, you know, we need to learn to forgive. And it's easy to forgive someone that begs you to forgive them. And they're uh, remorseful at what they did that was offensive. But can you forgive someone that hasn't asked you to? Can you be the bigger person and say, I'm going to forgive them? I'm not. Have you ever realized this? We know what passion it takes what energy it takes to love. I think it takes equal passion and equal energy and maybe even more so to keep a grudge going. You have to constantly remind yourself why you're offended with that person. And it, ta- it eats away at you, it ebbs away at you because they did you wrong. They don't even seem to know it or repent from it or care. Well, why don't you let it go? You know, Romans 5, 8 says that while we were yet sinners, while we were yet far, far away from Christ, he died for us. How would you like to die for someone that that doesn't even know who you are? You wouldn't do it, would you? But he died for you and he died for your sins before you ever came into the knowledge of who he was. That door was open for you. That opportunity was waiting for you if you would only take advantage of it. And thank God you did. There may be some here tonight that have not. What are you waiting for? I'm telling you, the older I get, I understand what people were talking about when I was a kid now. I didn't then. When I was a kid, I played hard and I had sweats of uh, dirty beads under my neck where I ran around the house and played hide-and-go-seek. I usually fell asleep in the car on the way home. My legs hurt. I played so hard. Sleeping was no problem. But when you get older, the night doesn't belong to you, does it? We have times where we wake up, and uh, oftentimes, you know, 3 o'clock in the morning, I wake up, and things are on my mind. Not necessarily troubling things. It's just, I think it's just uh, inherent with my age, just getting older. Slept three or four hours, and then the night doesn't belong to me anymore. And uh, I've heard this oftentimes. You know, there's all kind of sleeping aids out there that you can take, sleeping pills, different things that you can take to help you sleep. But you've heard this yourself. 
What's the best way to go to sleep? What's the thing that will put you to sleep and keep you asleep? A good conscience. A good conscience. And that's what I think another word for that would be a peace that goes beyond our understanding. A peace of God that's beyond our imagination. That's what we all want. You young people, listen to me. You sleep well at night because you haven't lived a life that has a lot of regret yet. And you don't have to either. You don't have to at all. But unfortunately, the older we get, we have so much regret in our lives. A lot of us do. And we think about, and it's all these things I'm talking about, thinking about the past, living in the past, conjuring these things up. And it doesn't have to be this way. No, we need to learn to forgive. Learn to, because think about this. What have I ever done to you? What have you ever done to me that was so important that I can't get past it? And I'm going to let it affect my eternal destination. Let me tell you the answer. Nothing. Nothing. This world is going to burn up. The elements in this earth, in the atmosphere, in the space, in everything that we know is going to be taken away, burned away, done away with. And I'm going to let something that's going to burn up keep me from having that peace and having my uh, just rewards to be with God. The answer is no. No, I'm not. And you shouldn't either. Let me tell you some things about Christ. What a wonderful, wonderful example he was. Not only that he was obedient to the Father, but think about this a minute. He was the perfect Lamb of God. Sinless man, the only one that's ever lived on this earth. And they took his clothes after they'd scourged him and they tore him in pieces. And they divided them. Evil men, Romans did this. And then he had linen underwear on. And they said, let's don't tear this. Let's cast lots for his underwear. And they did. And some lucky man won that lottery. And they took his underclothes. Now then let me ask, what did that leave him? It left him nothing. It left him shameful. It left him naked. And if that wasn't enough, he had to be nailed on a cross in front of his mother. In front of, the, in front of those that loved him. And then, think about this, he had two thieves on each side. And, you know, we always think about the one thief. And he told the Lord to remember me when you come in your kingdom. And he told him, this day I'll see you in paradise. And so we always, if we're not careful, we think about the thief. That one thief was a a thief and an evil man who ranted and raved at Jesus and uh, But the other guy was okay. That wasn't the case either. In Matthew 27, verse 44, there in that one account, it says that they both railed on him. They both accused him. They both said, you saved others. Why can't you save yourself and save us? They both railed on him, but sometime during that six hours or so that they were on that cross before they died, before their legs were broken and died, one repented. One had a change of heart. 
And he asked that question, would you remember me when you come in your kingdom? And a loving Lord that had been beat and stripped down naked forgave him. And yet sometimes we can't forgive our brother. And it shouldn't be. Do you want the peace that passes all understanding? Learn to forgive. Because it's the most godlike thing we can do. Do you want to be at peace with God? Believe with all your heart. Romans 10, 11 says, the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. You know, this morning we looked at a man in Mark 9 in the, in the Bible study, and he had a son who was, uh, had a mute spirit. And uh, the apostles had forgotten to pray. They had taken for granted that God had given them the ability to drive out demons and to heal people. And maybe as a lesson for them, they didn't do any good. They could not heal this boy. And um, they came to Jesus privately later and asked what it was. And he said, you didn't pray. But that boy's father, there's a lesson there. Jesus asked the man how long this had gone on, and he gave the description of how long this boy had had this from birth. And uh, Jesus told him in Mark 9, 23 and 24, he says, If you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. Immediately, it says, the father of the child cried out and said with tears, very passionate, Lord, I believe. And then the next thing out of his mouth was contradictory to that. He says, help my unbelief. And I am convinced of this. That sometimes we don't believe. Sometimes we doubt. Sometimes we, you know, it's a, and I think if we're honest. Because I've talked to people that were aged. Had been in the church all their life. And they told me privately. I have moments where I don't believe. And that ought not to be. But I'm not shaming them. Because you could look at my life and some of the actions that I've done sometimes would indicate maybe that I didn't believe. But I do believe. I've just been sinful at times. But if the shoe fits where it, if you have a problem with unbelief, first of all, confess it to yourself. As far as come to the not, don't be in denial. Just deal with it. Sometimes I don't believe. I see people's lives in the church sometimes, and it seems like from what you see, maybe through their attendance or lack of it, or you see them four or five times a year, is that someone that really believes? If they were honest with themselves, do they really believe? You know, we're commanded to meet on the first day of every week, and yet they may only come four, time, four or five times. And I'm not thinking of anyone specifically. But wouldn't that be something to pray about? Lord, help me in my unbelief. That's what this man said. I want to believe. Help me in my unbelief. It's something to pray about, isn't it? If you want to have the peace of God, believe. John 3.24 says, Most assuredly I say to you, He who hears my words and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life. And shall not come into judgment, but is passed from death into life. The Hebrew writer says in Hebrews eleven six, without faith, belief, without faith, it's impossible to please God. 
For you must believe that he is. Do you see how fundamental that is? You must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those that seek him. Do you want to be at peace with God? Live in his word. Study. John 8, 31 and 32, you're very familiar with these passages. He says, if you abide in my word, you're my disciple indeed. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. Well, what was the subject? The peace of God which passes all understanding. That's what we want. It's what we need, and that's what we want, and that's what we desire. Well, first of all, we looked at what it's not. It's not worldly wisdom. It's not hoarded well. It's not carnal pleasure. Then we've looked at the things that brings us peace and peace with God. Love his son. Love the brethren. Pray. He wants to hear from you. You're his child. He's your father. He wants to hear from you. Look ahead, not behind. Live in the here and the now, not in the past. And forgive. Keep in mind about forgiveness. It's reciprocal. Don't you need forgiveness? Then forgive. If you won't forgive, then God won't forgive you. It's very reciprocal. Let's do that. And then we need to believe with all our heart. Romans ten fourteen. How then shall they call on him whom they've not believed? And then live in his word. The careful adherence and study of the word will set you free. As Christians, if we'll do these things, we'll know God. We'll be at peace with God. We don't have to worry about anxieties of this world. No regrets. Only hope of eternity and peace with God. The peace that passes all understanding. Now notice, I said to the Christian. If you're not a Christian tonight, you can be. It's a simple choice that you could make, and that is just to obey the gospel. To believe that he's the Christ, the son of the living God. To repent of your sins and put him on in baptism. And then having done so, come up out of that water and walk in a newness of life. Be changed. Put the past in the past and live in the future. Live in the now. Live in Christ. Because if you're not a Christian, you can't have this peace. Because it's not afforded to you outside of Christ. It's the only way to have it. And you can do that tonight. We're here tonight to help you. If there's any here that have not had this and would like to have this peace that passes our imagination, passes our understanding, you can have it tonight. If you've not been faithful, change those things. Repent of those things. If, you've not, if you're not a Christian, become one tonight. In a moment, we're fixing to stand and sing, and Lynn is going to lead us that song, and if we can help you anyway, you come as we do that.